District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. I have an exciting conversation for you all today. We're going to talk to one of my new friends and fellow colleagues, Shakira Jackson. She is a firecracker. And if you don't know her, you're going to get to know her throughout this episode. Here is a brief biography about Shakira. She is a policy analyst for the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow, C-Factor, which also sponsors this show, and host of the Capital Pink video series. She is a proactive communicator, community organizer, environmentalist, fossil fuels activist, and political commentator who longs to live one day in a world that enhances the fruitfulness of the earth and all of its inhabitants. Her biggest aspiration is to bring all environmental coalitions together toward that end. She graduated from the University of Pittsburgh in three years with degrees in history and political science, and she has since been an active volunteer and political activist in both Philadelphia, her hometown, and Washington, D.C., and she is also a graduate student at Georgetown University right now, all well before the age of 25. Very impressive young lady, someone I have been looking forward to working with and introducing to you all. So here is my conversation with Shakira Jackson. Get to know her. Shakira, it is so good to have you on my podcast. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. We have been trying to make this happen forever. I'm glad we're doing it now. And it'll be out later today, which is amazing because I think people should hear your story. You're a phenomenal young activist. And I was amazed to find out you're only in your early 20s. You're barely out of college. You're in (laughs) graduate school. And you just impressed me so much. And we finally were able to connect in person. You work with us at CFACT. And you're just very animated about energy and environment. What led you to be so animated about these issues? Sure. So I think one of the biggest things for me growing up was environmental health. You know, I really was just kind of blown away by, um, you know, just the lack of knowledge when it came to nuclear waste and, you know, disposal. And that was kind of like my first interaction to um, the environmental world. But even outside of that, I was involved with my community gardens in the city of Philadelphia. So really just kind of, you know, being outdoors, trying to get more specifically young people engaged in taking care of our environment in our community. And since then, you know, I've just been an advocate for, you know, just growing, growing your own products, your food, um, being able to take care of our land. I've even had some activism going on at my previous university when I was still at the University of Pittsburgh. You know, I served as a fellow, um, making sure folks are aware of, you know, the overfishing and the pollution that's going on. So just really spreading awareness and um, creating those educational pillars for our, um, you know, young people for tomorrow. Because after all, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why I see exist in the first place. You know, we're, we're equipping young people and just environments about environmentalists in general, um, you know, how they could get more involved, see the facts for what they are and just expand from there. And why do you think a limited government kind of individual led environmentalism is more preferable, let's say to a top down big government approach? 
Yeah. So for, for as long as I can remember, you know, my parents, they definitely are big advocates for, you know, big of sex. And, you know, they definitely explained to me why I should take such side. And, you know, they didn't necessarily put their ideologies or, you know, thought processes onto me. They were just like, look, we will give you food for thought and do your own research and, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. Um, but I think for me, I've always kind of just really done my own research to see what is going into, um, you know, these big corporations, big government. And, you know, I even sat in multiple meetings to discuss why this is a really prominent issue because, you know, we just need people, we need equal representation, I feel like, at the table. And when you have 50 million people making decisions, important decisions, especially about our environment, you know, things get unorganized, things just kind of go downhill versus when you have, um, you know, small government, it's more, you know, concrete and you're able to really just take those, um, you know, viewpoints and synthesize them into ways where, you know, you can get effective work done because after all, you know, government, in my opinion, it's just it's more advantages when it's small than it is when it's big. And, um, you know, the less we, we took to solve government, um, you know, when it comes to solving problems, even thinking about, you know, taxpayers and how they pay money and different programs and salaries, benefits, all of these things are kind of contribute to why I think, you know, big gov sucks. And we just kind of need to, to hone in on those, um, you know, individual liberties and prosperities. I feel like SCFAC likes to, likes to say. Absolutely. And with respect to environmentalism, which policies have largely concerned you recently? And I also want your take on environmental justice, because we hear that start to be dropped more. I want your thoughts on both of those ideas, if you can elaborate. Sure thing. So I think in regards to environmental issues today, um, one thing for me has to be like waste management, um, thinking more to like waste disposal and how, um, you know, natural bodies of water, including, you know, like fresh water, salt water. Um, you know, how they're often polluted and, you know, with untreated wastewater. And so I think that's that's pretty much where I am in regards to like current environmental issues and something that I've been really getting into. And even, you know, uh, our, our president, Craig, he loves the whales. Um, so I yes. have to try to, you know, get more involved in the in the whale fight as well, because, you know, it's such a, a, a really important topic. And I feel like it's it's well overlooked, um, you know, no pun intended there, um, because it's just, you know, we're seeing, you know, with climate change and, you know, um, different developments there, toxic contamination, there are many threats to our whales. Um, and people, they fail to realize how much of a pillar that whales are to our society. Um, and even when you think about, you know, global warming, I guess, when it comes to, um, you know, whale watching and, um, you know, ozone pollution, all those things, they're definitely just like big threats to our whales. Um, and I think those issues should be be addressed. And then to your second question about environmental justice, I think, yes, this is a, a very, very important issue to, to tackle as well, because I, I literally just was doing a podcast interview for, um, you know, CFAC Capital Pink podcast, you know, wink, wink, check that out when you get a chance. But, you know, environmental justice has been one of those things or terms per se that has been so misconstrued by, you know, I would say the left or liberals um, because they kind of, they, they've 
mon they've they've what's the word I'm looking for? They have shifted, I feel like, what environmental justice means um into their own terms. And, you know, it's 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 quite sad. I think being able to to know, specifically being a minority, um, you know, coming from you know, where I've come from. When I think of environmental justice, I think about social movements. You know, I think about people having unfair exposure, um, you know, when it comes to, to, you know, communities from when it comes to when I was mentioning waste earlier, no, that's a big thing um, when it comes to land uses. And even like the movement, I feel like as a whole has kind of been just a, a big fight to educating people on um, environmental harms and um, just how it's been contributed across the board. But I, I think we've kind of lost this true definition of what environmental justice is even supposed to mean. And, you know, with politics getting involved, especially now more than ever, we've been seeing uh, a, a very just concerning um, topic just arise because there's just so much misinformation and, um, you know, people just kind of, like I said, tampering with the definition of what environmental justice means. And so I think I would hope, my hope is that people would do their own research and, you know, know that environmental, that the challenge per se, when it comes to environmental justice, when you think about environmental and climate justice, it's a civil rights issue, right? And, you know, we all depend on kind of the the physical environment and its its boundary. And so um, just kind of leading more to why we care about certain things, letting people know, especially minorities and people of color, like, you know, water, food, clean air, all of these things are so, so prominent, but don't let anyone sell you short. Um, And I think that's the message that we should be spreading. Yeah, I heard I was actually at a Capitol Hill hearing recently uh, for these issues for IWF. And I was listening to Cori Bush, who was a ranking member on the subcommittee uh, for for oversight relating to energy issues. And she was saying that environmental justice is phasing away from fossil fuels and pushing so-called clean energy alternatives. Does that fit into the framework of environmental justice? Because those policies, as we know, in my understanding of it, Uh, really burden those in more impoverished areas, uh, minority communities in particular, because Mm -hmm. the the trade-offs of these so-called transitions leave those most vulnerable sharing the burden of the cost. They're paying more. It's not cheaper energy by all accounts. So what what do you take from, let's say, Congress people like that who say that decarbonizing is a way to advance environmental justice? You know, these are the same people that push these sustainability goals, you know, the U.N. And, you know, we can go on and on about that conversation, right, with the sustainability goals. But I think, you know, they have they have lost um, the, the true definition, as I as I echoed earlier about, you know, environmental justice, because, like I said, when I think about environmental justice is equal access to natural resources. And right now we are definitely not seeing that. I feel like shift out and play as at, at all. Um, and when you think about kind of the reduction of, um, you know, social inequalities, the, the equitable payment of, um, you know, ecological debt, you know, there's, there's so many small things that a lot of people don't even know about. And um, so many issues that go into the environmental justice fight that I feel like are being overlooked on the Hill 
Um, so when we when we sit down and we make important decisions, specifically our legislators about things such as, you know, water infrastructure or, um, you know, kind of even going back to the, the goods of the movement, thinking about like commercial transportation um, or even farmers, farm workers. Right. We, I don't think no one's thinking about how this is impacting the, the, the small person. Right. It's always kind of like going back to your question earlier. Right. Why the difference between big and small, big gov sucks at least I feel like with small government, you know, it's, they're taken to an account, you know, the people at the bottom, you know, and, and we need to be working from the bottom up and not from, you know, the, the, the top down. I would hope that also gas stove bans do not fall under environmental justice because to kind of improve, improve and retrofit your kitchen, especially in the city, doesn't matter what your racial background or socioeconomic status is. It's very expensive for everyone. So I hope that does not fall in line with environmental justice. <laughs> yes. And I mean, even thinking about electrical cars, there are so many things that, uh, man, and, and it's crazy because this is not like the typical conversation that a lot of our young people are having. And it bothers me so much because they'd rather be on Twitter, you know, arguing about the, the the latest tea when it's like, this stuff is close to home to you. Why don't you care about these issues? Um, and so that's, that's what really grinds my gears as well. I, I'm so glad you mentioned the, the gas stoves because I think that's a really big issue when it comes to, you know, carbon poisoning, especially if they are kind of like installed incorrectly and not properly, you know, vented or maintained. And, you know, there's so many things there, but uh, lots to unpack, Gabby, lots to unpack. <laughs> Speaking of young people, you're obviously a part of Generation Z. And what I've noticed as a millennial, I'm kind of in midway through millennial. I'm kind of like a middle-aged millennial, um, kind of. I'm not exactly in the upper end, the old end, but I'm in the <laughs> middle of what a millennial is because I was born in the early 90s. And I've seen a lot of Gen Zs, it, and even a little bit in millennials, it was a little bit evident there. But Gen Z, and it worries me that they think that the planet is on fire. They believe we're in a climate catastrophe and you look at all the trends, there's less ozone depletion, emissions are a lot lower, the standard of living is a lot higher, especially here in the United States. We tend to do clean air, clean water, very good compared to a lot of our counterparts. Nothing's perfect, but I would say we uphold a lot of things. But a lot of young people, Gen Z and younger, have kind of this negative view of living and they don't want to get married and have kids and they think that it'll contribute to a carbon footprint. How do you get across to these young people? I know your show aims to do that, but in your personal opinion, what can be done to kind of recapture these young people and tell them, hey, everything's going to be okay. The environment is not on fire. We can make improvements, but generally things are okay. And and we don't need government to get in the way to make things worse or exacerbate problems. I think that's a really great question. Um, and part of my work is literally in the field activism. You know, when I am not behind the chair, you know, doing episodes for Capital Pink, I am out there, you know, in schools and just being the light that our young people needs to see because it starts with representation and it starts with those, you know, just small seeds. And that's why I think I became, you know, a, a fellow for CFACS, you know, when I was still an undergrad because I saw that, you know, hey, I, I, I shouldn't be waiting for someone to come in and save me. You know, I, I shouldn't be waiting for that. And I think that's the, the mindset that we're seeing right now with our young people. It's more so it's so easy, right, to point the finger and, you know, say, oh, well, this is happening because of them and, you know, X, Y, Z. But, you know, no one takes initiative to come up with solutions or to go and here we go. See the facts. 
Right. And so um, that's what I try to do. Just kind of, like I said, spreading the awareness in the infield activism, especially because, you know, scientifically proven, you know, I've done a lot of like campaign trainings and stuff like that. And they say like, you know, the, the best way to get through to, you know, voters and getting more folks to, to or mobilizing communities is to have that one-on-one face interaction. And so um, really being out there advocating on Capitol Hill, creating content, you know, a lot of our Gen Z is on social media. So that's the biggest platform right now that, um, you know, I've been trying to use to get through to some of our young people, but it, it really, it's going to start with, you know, it's time consuming as it may sound, you know, changing our Gen Zers, one Gen Z, you know, one Gen Z at a time. Um, that's, kind of where we I feel like we we can start and then kind of expanding from there but you know a lot of our young people as you mentioned they're they 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 have they feel discouraged you know they they are not um, you know, they don't, they, they don't have to do their own research or just kind of seeing what they see on social media, which is, you know, the pro and the con me contradicting my own ways, but it's true. Although I try to push, you know, factual information on my social media platforms, et cetera, there's a lot of disinformation, misinformation out there. And so, um, you know, part of my research that I do at Georgetown is just being able to say, well, how do we kind of combat some of this misinformation and disinformation is happening across the web. And part of it is just trying to overpower, I guess, uh, um, the the folks that are spreading this misinformation and that's just by putting out more factual information and you know leading folks to places where they can find the sources to back certain things up um and yeah it just starts from there grassroots organizing it really does and i don't think they're entirely lost there are some unfortunately who concern me and i don't think we'll be able to reach them but i think there's a good portion in the middle the mushy middle who are open to hearing different things. Maybe they just have information overload from very biased sources and they Mm -hmm. don't know what is actually happening. And then you see conflicting reports of these different climate scenarios and you see that everything is catastrophic and it's all doom and gloom, but there's a lot of things to celebrate. And I think I try to do that too, going to different campuses, even though I am a millennial, I try to be positive. I try to reach people in the middle who may not agree with my politics or even my thinking of conservation and just kind of inject them with a dose of reality, um, not force them into it, of course, but to present, you know, an alternative view so they can be in the know of like, things are positive, nothing is perfect, but we would rather be in the situation we are here with cleaner air, cleaner water, being able to have a say at the table mm-hmm. on these environmental decisions, even though this administration, in my view, is trying to limit stakeholder input, and that's not good, that's not productive to energy and conservation issues. You need to have everyone have a seat at the table, not just special interests that back a certain party. And so uh, Shakira, where can everyone follow you and connect with you and follow your podcast? Plug that in again as well, because I would love people, you're a a rising star, I would say, and I want people to connect with you. We're going to work a long time together. I have no doubt. And I hope we get to collaborate on more projects through CFACT as well, (laughs) but I want people to connect with you and, and learn more about your efforts. So dish away with all the appropriate links if you can. Yes, absolutely. So you could find me on all social media platforms. I have the same tag. It's my name, Shakira Jackson, but it's spelled with a zero. So S-H-A-K-I-R-A-J-A-C-K-S-0-N. And you can find me on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, um, Facebook. You can find it the regular way, Shakira Jackson. But unfortunately, the regular way for everything else was unfortunately taken. So I had to go the unique route way. 
but that is okay. Um, oh, but Gabby, you know, I, I wanted to, to end one more point on what you were saying. I think a lot of people also, um, specifically Gen Zers, they're kind of experiencing, I would say, a, a climate anxiety now, I feel like is a, yeah. is a good way to put because of the the amount of information that they've been seeing and, um, you know, just when it comes to the media and the overload. Um, so I'm just hoping that they can find some way to, to, to cope with it outside of just, you know, just being, you know, flushing and digesting all of this information, um, you know, just figuring out how they can distinguish the two, how they can do their own research, and of course, how they can see the facts. That's extremely important because, Young people are the future. And if they are just predisposed to, you know, respond to everything negatively, it's not good for society. And I think those of us who kind of grew up with a hybrid of no technology and then a little bit of insertion of technology into our kind of daily lives, I think we can help them. You, You have to lean on us millennials to help you guys too. So any way we can... We shall, and I mean that on an individual level too, but Shakira, lovely to have you on my program. We're going to be recording something shortly for yours, and I hope you come back again and we can discuss more issues. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure you're connected to us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also on your preferred player, we recommend Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us reviews if you really like the content. Share the podcast with friends who may be interested in learning more about what's trending in conservation and the related industries that entangle with it and sometimes work against it as well. Thanks for listening to the show and stay tuned for the next episode.